0: You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast, featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to this edition of the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. Vertical ventilation can be defined as the removal of superheated air, gas, smoke, and pressure from a burning structure. It allows smoking gases to follow its natural path up and out of the building, making interior conditions more favorable for firefighting operations. It is very effective, but there are many variables which can make it challenging with the many different types of buildings we encounter. With us today to discuss roof operations is firefighter Phil Gordon from Ladder 176. Welcome, Phil. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for coming down. I came across your article in WNYF, and uh, for people out there who don't know, WNYF is our own training publication, comes out twice a year. If you're interested in subscribing, you go to fdnypro.org, but it's always chock full of good information, and I think this article is just going to make for a good, quick drill. We'll hit some of the basics about roof operations, and, uh, you know, we'll get your perspective. Sounds great. It's good to have a firefighter's perspective who's doing it, you know, because... There's so much to learn on, it, on this job, and, and this, there's a lot to relearn, too, because it's been 20 years since I've been assigned a roof position. If I go on a roof, I have a different, different mindset than this bread and butter operation, so sure. uh, I think of it really good. I was hoping maybe we could start right at the beginning. Let's talk about getting into position, and we'll go through the different types of buildings in the city. Let's start with tenement buildings, right? They're one of our oldest. They're masonry Class three buildings. Brick and joists might be called around the country, but we have specific three and four window types. Let's talk about getting into position.
1: Yeah, that's the first thing you have to do uh, is when you get assigned the roof position, one of the biggest things you're going to notice is that it's a largely autonomous position. You don't get to have the luxury of having a, a layer of supervision with you. You're not working with anybody immediately like that inside team. So If, if second due delayed, you may be up there by yourself making decisions and communications alone. So before you can actually start the operations, the focal point has to be making the position and so like anything else there's going to be options it's a dynamic fire scene so it's good to be focused on where you got to go but you also have to be flexible and adaptive so you're talking about three and four window tenement buildings the, the brownstones and row frames they're all generally three four maybe five stories but even when they're that big that's uncommon i'm a big fan of taking the aerial ladder a couple things aerial super fast you can get it in position from the street side at no time like i said you're going to be working alone but as long as you're on the aerial And you have that straight shot up there. You got the lighter company chauffeur's eyes on you. So if you do misstep, if you do have a problem, at least there's somebody there to witness it and and help you work you through it. So and I've been around other places too where people make the case that they want to take an adjoining building or a second adjoining building. Your company SOPs really need to dictate that. Yeah. So I don't like taking the adjoining buildings, and a lot of times in these. Tell me
0: why. Is this more towards brownstones and row frames or tenements as
1: well? They can apply to both. It's a big city. I definitely haven't seen it all, but it seems like bulkheads are on half of the four window tenements and they're much less common on the three windows and almost never on the row frames of brownstones. Any of these buildings are going to be 100 years old. They did not design them for modern firefighting. If you got a, a bulkhead, great. I mean, that's yeah, nothing yeah. makes it easier than, than, easy, than yeah. getting up on a bulkhead. Otherwise what you have is a scuttle hatch maybe they're in the public hallway maybe they're in a closet on the public hallway or in the case of brownstones if they've been whacked up into a a multiple dwelling they may be inside the apartment yeah so if you're going to go that route you're talking about forcing an exterior door a vestibule door potentially an apartment door Mm -hmm. just to find your access to the scuttle hatch I've been in the buildings before that didn't have a ladder to get up to, it. so now I've worked my way to that top floor only to find this thing 10 or 12 feet above me and I don't have a way to get up it.
0: In a small closet loaded with junk and bicycles. That,
1: right. <laughs> the photograph that's in the WNYF was a building that my now wife and I lived in uh, before we got married. And I knew about this thing, so when I wanted a picture of it, I knew exactly where to find it. I went, I went back to our old building and knocked on the door and, and this, is, this is the condition that it was. And it's very common to find these scuttle closets like this loaded with stuff that people don't want in their apartments but yeah. they can't quite get rid of it and they, they bury the ladder in it yeah, there's no yeah. way you're getting up that no absolutely not but let's say in a perfect world that closet's clear and you can climb the ladder now you're fighting way to get through that scuttle hatch assuming it's not chained shut or nailed shut by the super the person that they designed that for 100 years ago had a helmet and maybe a coat Whatever tool they decided to to pull off the rig that day. They didn't have ladders three and 45 minute
0: cylinders. Right.
1: So now we're going up there in bunker gear, and like I said, 45 minute cylinders with a a saw or a rope, (laughs) a hook, and a Halligan, and you just don't fit. It was designed for a different era. And now you're trying to to make it work. So you're doing a, a low profile or a reduced profile to get your stuff up through the hatch, and all the meanwhile, you are surrounded by the returns. Yeah which which all all these buildings have a cock loft. The row frames have a common one we all know about. And that's it's a dangerous position to be in because you get get wedged in there and now potentially exposed to fire.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, another benefit you mentioned in the article is having that aerial ladder. You know right away you look over the three side and there's uh, a victim showing at a window. You have a tie-off point immediately.
1: It is. So there's a sweet spot when we talk about positioning that aerial ladder. I know when I have the roof position, my intent getting off the rig is to set up the aerial myself. I figure the chauffeur's gonna take a second to put on a coat. If he drives with it, you know, that's their decision. But they're definitely gonna be putting on a mask and grabbing a helmet, and gloves, and whatever. These are not things that you're gonna drive with. So it's, it's gonna be my job to set the aerial ladder up. So there's a sweet spot to get it up there. The books say five feet above the parapet. If you go more, and I like keeping my hands free when I climb, I'm gonna grab the tools at the tip of the aerial. So if you go more than that, now you're going to have to climb away from, mm-hmm. from, from your operation to just to grab your stuff, to climb back down. And, and you know, like we say, seconds count. Seconds yeah. matter. But if you short it, now your tie-off point is going to be that orange section, that temporary replaceable section at the tip of the aerial ladder. And that's, I would rather not yeah. use that as, a, as my substantial object to, to tie off. So there's that, there's that sweet spot of, of getting it up there high enough that you can access the, the gray. But you can also access your tools.
0: Usually five or six feet will do it, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: But you never know with a cornice or a yeah. parapet wall or what kind of decorative stuff they have up there. Buildings have been renovated, so it yeah. ain't easy. No, it isn't easy. How about H types? H types, a lot bigger building, not as straightforward building construction-wise. There's a lot of variables in them. Same neighborhood can have H types, not shaped like a H. He's isolated. Yeah. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a ton of a ton of different shapes to them but then there's also curve bulbs within them even if they have the same shape or the wings isolated or not so building construction type for the h types can cause you problems but the, you can also use those variations to your advantage so so one of the things that's different about the h types from the old tenement buildings these are going to have bulkheads at the top of the stairs which is great picture it's 3 a.m it's raining out you hop on the rig as the roof firefighter and you're dismounting and you know you, you've got to get into position. That's a given. You want to go set up a six story climb in the dark, in the rain, you're carrying hundred pounds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that's daunting. This is something we, we do as our profession and it's still daunting. So in, instead of that steep climb and it's going to be a lot steeper than it, it's going to be from a, you know, a three story building. It's nice though to have that option to walk into a building, yeah. you got an artificially lit it's bright, 24 mm-hmm. hours a day. It's dry, 24 hours a day. You can walk it easily, uh, like they say in the, in the Bronx, like a gentleman. Yeah, you yeah. walk it right out the bulkhead and then and you're in your own position, there's no chance of losing your balance and, and falling off of a, a staircase.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's the safest option for sure. It is.
1: I In the H-Types too, they've got some construction giveaways. They've got elevators in them. For the most part, they've got elevators in them. If you walk in, you got your elevators in the lobby, right in the center of the lobby. That's a clue that both elevators are gonna service both wings of the H-Type. Conversely, if you go in that, in that lobby, you know your ground floor is going to be wide open. If your elevators aren't in the middle, if they're over on the wings, then you know that you're going to have isolated wings up on the floors above. Yeah,
0: it's kind of like wing stairs. Yeah,
1: now it's like you're being in a separate building.
0: Yeah, that's the perfect case scenario, right? Sure. Wing stairs.
1: Which was something I think about a couple of years ago. with a fire in a corner, H-type. Uh, if I remember right, out the windows of a second floor apartment. First roof firefighter took an aerial to the roof, which either way, as long as you get there, that's the most important part there's confusion about which apartment fire is issuing out of. And it's a corner building. Corner building's are always yeah, a little challenge. They, they can be tricky. They're not as they're not straightforward as, you know, the middle of the block. Now, the inside team with the first two truck took a guess, and they picked the wrong stairwell. So now they're, they're up there on a different wing, and they can't access the fire apartment. So if, if that roof firefighter, and it's easy to Monday morning quarterback, if they had gotten together and had just a, f- a five-second communication of, I'm not sure which one of these yeah. it's going to be, so... We're going to say the inside team is going to take one. I'll do the other one. Yeah. And as a roof firefighter, if I come across the fire department, I communicate that back. That way, if they're halfway up the stairs, yeah. they can make the switch.
0: Yep. And uh, just give it for some of our people that are listening that don't work around here, the three types of stairs we commonly find in an H-type and we'll explain them just briefly. The transverse, wing stairs, and then isolated stairs.
1: So the transverse stairs would apply to that scenario where you go in the lobby and you got both elevators right there in the middle, or just a single elevator right there in the middle. You know that when tenants get off the elevator, doesn't matter where on the floor their apartment is, they, they're gonna go to it. Whichever staircase you get in on either you side- You can access both wings. You can, which on the surface sounds good, but I've been in some of these buildings where the staircases are open and then- Yeah, it creates then, a smoke now, travel problem, Yeah, now. Yeah. Like you're saying, the buildings are big enough that if yeah, the fire's not the too upside. far advanced, it's, it's not a deal breaker, yeah. but if fire is advanced, yeah. then that's when you're going to be climbing the aerial to the roof. You, know? yep. you don't want to get hung up there in the, in the bulkhead.
0: So wing stairs serve only the wing? They're separate? You can't cross over?
1: Down on, on the ground floor, that lobby floor, wide open. But on the floors above, where people live, where the apartments actually are, you're going to have an apartment right there in the middle of the floor. Maybe they have access to a, a fire escape. I've seen some that don't and instead you know in lieu of that fire escape they have a a back door they have a second door to their apartment and that'll be the only apartment in the whole building like that.
0: And what you're referring to is uh, the apartment in the throat. essentially, Right. Exactly.
1: And you can't you absolutely can't bank on being able to cross through that apartment. Just like the tenement buildings, that the door that's closer to the exposure one side of the building, where yes, it may have a knob and it may have hinges, but there's going to be a bookshelf or a bed or something up against it that makes it uh, unusable. Yeah.
0: And yeah, the, the isolated stairs, I find them pretty rare. I can only think of a handful of them. They're a, a lot less common. But the, to those, they may just serve individual stairways that serves just a couple of apartments.
1: Right. So uh, on, on any given floor, you're not going to have a hallway. You're just going to have a landing with a series of doors around it, which... Not well, enough fun landing, for, the, yes. for the truck company, uh, it's, it's got to be a lot less fun for the engine because yeah, you've got no place to flake out the hose. And yeah. sure. hey, we're going to keep it to residential too,
0: <laughs> otherwise we'll be here all day. We'll do low-rise and high-rise fireproof MDs, just some of the challenges of getting in position. The low-rise MDs, maybe less so.
1: The low-rise, seen a couple different kinds of staircases in these. The low-rise MDs is nice because you've got a bunch of options and the building construction is on your side. Uh, you can't burn the buildings down. So if you want to take the aerial, it's an option. A lot of them are built attached, right? A lot, a lot of them are, which is also good. When they're, when they're attached or semi-attached, just go to the next building over, you got a straight shot, you're, you're gonna make it. You're gonna be fine. When they're freestanding unattached buildings, they may have scissor stairs in them. You can take that to your advantage too. Yeah, a lot of times those buildings, we'll have one door opens, Inside the ground floor lobby, and then the other set of stairs that's, that, that wraps around it exits on the side of the building. So force your way in, communicate with the inside team, whichever stairs they're using, because they, they may be doing some stuff with the hose line too, depending on where they're stretching, right. where, where the, the fire below. apartment is in relation to the, the stairwell doors. Yeah, they may switch it up. So you, you but wanna, they'll
0: be switching it up on the floor below the fire, so right. it's not like going to pollute your stairwell.
1: Yeah, so you, you'll know they, they, that way. In case they're switching it and they're switching it to the one that you're in, you just. You just bounce over to the other one and, and get where you need to go. The open interior stairs, that can be tough. So if you, if you don't have the luxury of having an attached building there, you sort of pigeonholed yeah, into the, yeah. the aerial. Yeah. So we got to stay focused on making the position. That's it, important, but you never know when someone's going to show at a window. So that's when... Yeah, that's when you lose the aerial. That's when your plan A is out. But every step you take, you have to remain adaptive. you still got to progress toward your, yeah. your destination.
0: We're fortunate, too. Like, it's usually... Uh two ladder companies on scene pretty
1: quick in most areas. The high-rise, the variation is, as the roof firefighter, you're not going to the roof anymore. You're, you're going to the floor above. And what's going to be unique about that is the fire apartment and the floor above are going to have the same exact layout. So you may be called upon to be the eyes of the inside team in the fire apartment. Yeah,
0: I think that's such a, an important point. You can get some really advanced smoky fires in these buildings. It makes locating the fire apartment extremely difficult and the roof position, like you said, because they're usually a mirrored layout. This is touching a little bit on communication as well, but it's so valuable to be able to direct them to the location of the fire, and as well help with the layout.
1: So high-rise buildings, one of the things that I think you have to immediately think of when you get a ticket for running a high-rise building is wind, Yeah. right off the bat. And it's what may be undetectable at street level. You go up five, 10 stories, and it's whipping. So that, c- that can have a huge impact on the operation and on the survivability of us and civilians alike. It's very unlikely that anyone's gonna use an aerial ladder or a tower ladder to get into position. That's a- it's almost out. Yeah, it's not
0: out. It's a high-rise fireproof MD.
1: <laughs> I-, I can't even imagine right now a scenario where that would apply. Yeah, I agree. So by the books, we're taking the attack stairs. So we're gonna be getting up above the fire floor.
0: When we arrive at a high-rise fireproof MD, we designate an attack stairwell and an evacuation stairwell. Right. And we try to maintain the door closed on all the doorways in the evacuation stairwell. And the attack stairwell is where the uh, host line is going
1: to advance from. Because that attack stairwell, it's going to get polluted. Mm-hmm. In, in order to access the fire department. It's a necessity. Yeah, yeah the, that, that apartment door has got to be open and the, and the stairwell door to the standpipe. So, so that stairwell is going to be polluted. We try to keep the evac stairway clean for, for the civilians that don't have the luxury of having a 45-minute cylinder to exit right. the building with. So as a roof firefighter, we're going to go above. We're gonna gain access to the apartment above. From there, you have the ability to to relay a a bunch of important information. You get out, take a look down, you can see what room the fire's in. You can recount your steps and tell that inside team that doesn't have the luxury of having visibility that you're gonna take 10 steps along the left wall, you're gonna make a left down the hallway, and it's gonna be the second door on your right about 15 feet in, That's, that's your fire room. So you can be pretty articulate with that information to share it. And the other thing you can do, the job's rolling out of like a fire dynamics demonstration right now too uh, that, that shows yeah, the, know, flow path. the flow path ventilation. Mm-hmm. And what the fire is doing can provide clues on how the wind is impacting it. And then you can recreate the flow path that the inside team is going to be experiencing by keeping that window open, by opening a bedroom door and opening your, your apartment door. And if it's in your face, yeah. it, it's something you're going to want to share.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's why I see so much value in those handy-talky recordings. Sometimes just hearing other people verbalize certain things is helpful, you know, because if you don't know what you're going to say, you might not make the transmission.
1: That's very important. Even now, when I get assigned the roof position, one of the first things I do is mentally rehearse what I'm going to say on the radio or what kind of communications, because you're not always going to be ladder 176 roof. You get detailed out, you get a different yeah. position. You know, heat of the moment, mm-hmm. you want to be accurate. You may only be able to get one transmission out. Practice what you're going to say. About a 176 roof to command, of a person at a window.
0: So many things, but I agree. It's really smart to do something like that.
1: It, it's just it's just mentally having your head in the game. That's what it is. Um, I, I think it starts as soon as you get your assignment for the day, Yeah. for the tour. No, it's good to continually go over it. And it's tough, too. You know, you, you make the climb, whether it's stairs, or aerial, you're carrying stuff, you're out of breath, you see something that you want to share, you suck in the wind, and yeah. it's, it's, <laughs> you, it's you yeah. can barely get it out. So, mm-hmm. so when you think about things that you might communicate, being articulate with your words, we mentioned in the article, there's a big difference, you know, you cut a vent hole and you got fire, or you got smoke. So what are you going to say? The difference between I got fire through the vent hole or fire from the vent hole, mm-hmm. there's one word difference, and in, in the heat of it, it's, they sound very similar, but, but one is uh, exactly what we want to have happen. We, you've got a vent for a top floor fire, and the other one is you just set off a, a multiple.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Now we're in position. I know in your article, you call them universal considerations, just good general things to keep in mind while operating on the roof.
1: So you're in position, and you're going to start the operation. So you've you, you got to bring what your position dictates. I'm gonna go on a tangent here, because mm-hmm. these, these aren't my words, they're somebody else's, but they've stuck with me over the years. Right before I got on the job, fire department and John Jay had a, a, a partnership where we mm-hmm. were taking classes. So Vince Dunn, author of Collapse of Burning Buildings, is teaching a class, which to this day, I can't wrap my head around why there wasn't a line of people out the door to take this class. But here's Chief Dunn teaching his book. And one of the things he said that really stuck with me, he said, I wanna analyze this saying. Thinking outside the box. So in the private sector, people get all excited about thinking outside the box and being creative and yeah, it's wonderful, I guess. So, but here in the fire service, thinking outside the box is terribly dangerous. So everything that we do is a team effort and every position and every action complements the rest of it. And if any one person decides that they're gonna think outside the box and go do something else freelance and freelance and leave their job and leave their position, it's gonna have negative and potentially devastating effects on the entire operation. So you may want to cut a hole and you don't want to carry a rope that you, you may not use, but it doesn't matter, it's not about you, it's not about the individual anymore. And so we have to give that up for the good of the team or the smoothness of the operation, you got to nail your positions. You need to be where you're supposed to be and you need to bring what you're supposed to bring because it's going to benefit everyone else. It's going to yeah. benefit your, your company. This is where reputations come from. Good and bad. If you're nailing your positions, you're going to have the reputation you want. And if, if you're thinking outside the box, everyone's going to know it.
0: Yeah. If we focused on the basics and nailed the basics 100%, Yep. we have a good chance of being successful. And if
1: you do have an idea, that dynamic fireground is not the place to thrust them upon everyone else. You know, Bring it back to the kitchen table, run it through that informal chain of command that we have where, where you've got senior members. Float your idea to them.
0: Yeah, sure. Because
1: they may have some experience with it and there may be a reason that that's not the part of the company SOPs.
0: How about climbing the aerial ladder?
1: All right. So I think most people don't have experience climbing anything. And if they do, maybe it's painting their house. So the way you're going to climb that ladder is going to be A lot different and there's a lot more at stake when you're climbing an aerial ladder so yeah anyone can get from the bottom to the top but when you start strapping on gear and carrying tools and having people civilians holler at you and man the stuff that people out there will say to you it can be distracting so so there are those nuances about taking the time positive Contact when you're using it. I, I tell people you're going to alternate between three and four points of contact all the time. If you ever find yourself with two points of contact, you know, one hand, one foot, you're doing something wrong. This climbing aerial is not the place to hurry. So you're going to climb the rails rather than the rungs. And the reason being, if you misstep or slip, the rails run top to bottom continuously. So if you slip, it's always going to be right there. If you've if you got the muscle memory to climb in rungs, you're looking at an inch and a half of rung followed by 14 inches of airspace on either side of it. There's plenty of room to miss. You fall off that aerial ladder, you've just created a whole other operation and it's detracting from the fire that we're trying to put out.
0: Now you made it to the roof. You talk about having an operational checklist.
1: Before you dismount the aerial ladder, you need to have a platform to work off of. So you gotta be careful where you put your feet. I don't like the idea of committing body weight to the roof before I let go of the aerial ladder. Stomping on a cornice is super dangerous. 10 times more dangerous is touching on a yankee gutter you know the, these things are old they may be impinged upon by fire on the inside that you can't even see and they were never that sturdy to begin with so i try to avoid those things when you do get off you want a quick survey of the outside of the building whether somebody is at a window or already jumped these things are going to be communicated and your operation is going to be complemented with the outside vent and the truck chauffeur that's just the way it is going back just a little bit when the rig stops the inside team goes in try to get people ahead of time to just a quick huddle, 10 seconds, five seconds of this is going to be my route, OV, this is going to be your route. Okay, as long as we're on the same page. As the roof firefighter, you may be the first eyes in the, in the rear of the yard or on the, on the back of the yard. You see somebody at a, a window, perception is reality for them. Mm-hmm. If they think they're going to die, they're going to jump. And nobody's going to stay in a room full of fire if they think they're going to get burned alive. So, so you see somebody there, you need to give them hope. Let them know you're there. They're, not, they're, they're looking for something soft to land on. They're not looking up hoping to, yeah, not to save their you. day. They're not on a rope. So you need, to, you need to call them, let them know. Stay right there. I'm coming for you. Don't use the J word because yeah, yeah. that may be the only word they hear. And you're going to need help. So whether it's a second-do roof or your own truck chauffeur, let them know you need some help up there. Yeah. Somebody's got to do the lowering yeah, and someone's, someone's going over. So, yeah, you don't.
0: Let everybody know what you got. And the and inside team hearing it as well. They may be able to get it and avoid somebody
1: going out on a rope. Right. When I mentioned the perceptions of reality, fire may not even be that bad in there. A fire could be in the kitchen and now they're in a bedroom and they think that they're done for, but all they got to do is close the door and you can wait this out. That inside team, they're going to make a push to, to go find that civilian.
0: Yeah, you may be able to calm and keep
1: them in place,
0: which is <laughs> the safest operation for everyone.
1: So it buys them 30 seconds. And you can tell that inside team that third floor, three, four corner, we've got somebody at a window. That's it. They'll be able to make that push, and if it buys them 30 seconds, that could be enough.
0: How about we get into some of the things we'll find on the roof? Let's start with skylights.
1: So you get up there, you got a surface to work on, do a perimeter check of the building. Nothing's really jumping out at you. Maybe you give a report if you see something venting, whether it's smoke or fire. Say what you see, just to keep things simple. And then you're going to start opening up. So you're going to have your choice. Depending on what's up there, you may have a bulkhead door. You may have a scuttle hatch. You may have skylights. You may have dumbwaiter shafts. So skylights are uncontrollable. Once you take them, they're taken, it, it's gone. So that's something that you've got to communicate with your inside team, with the company officer, to make sure that they've got control of the fire apartment door. The bulkhead's a little bit different. You know, we, we can take that. We make sure that there's nobody on the landing, and then same thing, control. So going back to that fire dynamics thing, one of the examples that they show is, is a best of intentions, but worst of results kind of scenarios. You've got a fire and a vertical vent, that creates a flue up the evacuation stairway, and civilians, us, you get you get hung up in that. The stairwell
0: above is a dangerous place to be for anybody.
1: Yes. Uh, so again, those vertical ventilation things, communication's key. I mean, how how many times can you say that?
0: Yeah, well, that's what gets back to the IC. Give them an idea of what's going on. Uh, one of the tips you brought in here brought me back. I like the you talked about dumbwaiter
1: shafts. So uh, dumbwaiter shafts, when these these buildings were built, you know, eighty, a hundred years ago, you got these. Shaftways that run from the basement through the top of the roof. At the top is a, like a winch or a pulley, and so what you can do, rather than lugging your groceries up five flights, you get a box, you stick your stuff in there, you kind of mechanically elevate your stuff to to wherever you're going. Yeah, like a little manual elevator car. Right. and it works pretty good. It also works really good at. Transmitting fire from anywhere in the building to anywhere else or into the cockloft,
0: and all these are supposed to be sealed at this point. They're basically not in service anymore. It's
1: correct. Yeah. If the doors even exist in a public area or even in the apartments, they're going to be nailed shut. A lot of times, they're sheetrocked over. But the shaft still exists. Mm-hmm. But because now that they're not in use anymore, when a building gets renovated, when a roof gets fixed, they'll cut off the bulkhead and they'll seal over the top of it. So the hazard's still there, but the visual cue that it exists no longer is. So what you need to do when you get to the roof of these buildings is, as part of your survey, is, is look around. If the attached buildings have dumb-waiter, dumbwaiter shafts shaft, on them, yeah. then yours most likely does. If it's a similar looking building, it, it most likely does.
0: You could approximate the location roughly. Yep. Yeah. Maybe put, get a saw now if you have, uh, you know, to, for an inspection hole.
1: The inspection halls are important, and that's going to let you know if your dumbwaiter shaft is carrying fire throughout the building. Because if, if it's hidden from the inside team, you're going to be the first one to discover it. We get inspection holes, and then we get, we're going to cut vent holes, well, you know, especially if, if you've got a top floor fire. When you're doing that seven, nine, eight cut, you've got, you got to leave that knockout for the end. Otherwise, yeah. the other firefighters on the roof love doing stuff. They got hooks, they're anxious. As soon as you complete that, that knockout cut, somebody's going to be punching it in, and they're going to be pulling that roof, yeah. and you're going to take it in the mush because you're still down there finishing the, yeah, yeah. the eight part of the cut. So, so I say skip that. And you got you to overlap the cups, too. My company had a fire in a vacant building. The roof firefighter gets up there, he starts cutting, finds four inches of tar. So now once he's done with this and he scoops up a, a three-foot-by-three-foot pile of goop, he's got to go back in there a second time and and,
0: yeah.
1: and make another cut. So,
0: But it'll be smaller.
1: It will. It's going to yeah. be smaller. So if you discover that that you've got four inches of tar or you've got a bunch of insulation of whatever it is, you're going to have to exaggerate that that initial vent hole because once you get down finally to the deck itself, you you want to have enough space that you can get a a good vent.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a great tip. This is really informative. Good to get a, you know, a firefighter's perspective who's doing it every day. And, uh, Dan, I appreciate your initiative writing the article. I think it came out really good. Hopefully, uh,
1: I can talk shop all day with this stuff. (laughs) I I remember vividly how much fun it is to learn stuff. So it's, uh, sometimes I feel a, the clock ticking on my own career and i want to make sure you know the, the good stuff that was given to me when i got on keeps on getting passed along to, to other people well,
0: i like it and this is, a, this is a good way to do it so again i'm going to thank you for coming down and, uh, thanks for having
1: me it's, it's, it was fun all right good and, uh, hopefully
0: i'll see you out there soon
1: That'd be great all right thanks for
0: listening to this edition of the fdny pro podcast i'm your host battalion chief brian mulry for more training and information from our subject matter experts go to fdnypro.org FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.